Amen. Are you ready for the move? Oh, wow. I just feel it in the air. I see it on your face. It's here. God is real. God's alive. And a sneak preview. Our God is a mighty God, an awesome God, and a holy God. So get ready. The move of God is on the way. And in many ways, that move has already begun. It's a move that has already begun to change the world in some powerful ways. And one of the things I love about Metropolitan Community Church is that we could easily think of it as Metropolitan Community Movement. A movement that started back in 1968 in a living room in West Hollywood with 12 people who answered the call to move. One of the things about MCC is that we really don't have bureaucrats. We have movers who keep the move in the movement. And I'm thrilled that today one of those movers is here. Yeah, her title's executive director of MCC, but she's a true mover. She is the author of Would Jesus Discriminate? The 21st Century Question. A question that potentially, through our openness, could change the world. So I'll just add to your title, Reverend Dr. Cindy Love, Executive Director, Mover, World Changer. Let's give a Resurrection MCC welcome to Reverend Dr. Cindy Love. expecting a sermon now, aren't you? <laughs> Before I preach, I want you one more time to thank them. <laughs> it's the most incredible blessing to get to hear them, but when I come, they are gracious enough to let me sing with them. And that just fills me up, and I, then sometimes I'm breathless and I can't preach, so there it goes. In the tradition of the indigenous people who lived on this planet before we ever had anything called church, I want to begin with a story. Long, long ago, there were two villages that lived on each side of a road, and they disliked each other deeply. They were frightened. They were afraid there weren't enough resources to go around. So God was sad, it hurt God's heart, to see them living so closely together and yet so far apart. And so one day God took down God's largest hat, and he decided to go for a walk on the road between them. And as he walked along, the people on the right side of the road looked up and said, look at God's fabulous blue hat. It is the color of the sea. And the people on the left side of the road said, look at God's fabulous red hat. It's the color of a rose. And they grew angry with each other. No, God's hat is blue. No, God's hat is red. 
and God turned around. Just as the people were planning to take up their sticks and stones and the tools they worked with in the field and kill one another for saying something that was a lie about the color of God's hat. And God turned around, and as God turned, they saw that indeed God's hat was both blue and red. And in that moment, they realized that God was big enough to wear more than one color of hat. God was big enough to love more than one group of people. And today, thanks to this story, we know that what we think we know is not always all there is to know about God. I'm so grateful to be here today to talk to you about the Would Jesus Discriminate campaign. I'm really humbled. This is the church where I was a student. For those of you who don't know and hopefully don't remember, when I <coughs> was so green that I should have been planted. I want to thank Reverend Dwayne and all of the clergy who were here, Reverend Carolyn Mobley, who helped me discern my calling in ministry, and most especially all of you who were on the board and in the church, and who helped me grasp what it really meant to be a church where people at the door say, the divine in me greets the divine in you. I had not had that experience before. I grew up in Abilene, Texas, one of the 10 most conservative cities in North America. Did y'all know that? <laughs> and I grew up in the Church of Christ, not the United Church of Christ. I grew up in the Church of Christ, you know, the no dancing, no drinking, no card playing, no mixed bathing, that's swimming, for those of you who are normal. <laughs> that was my church. And in that church, I didn't learn the part about the divine in me greets the divine in you. I did learn some great a cappella music. I learned to sing. But I learned that there were people who were not part of God's family. In fact, the funniest thing I remember about the Church of Christ, and I think they still tell this story, is that a group of people were visiting heaven for the first time with St. Peter, and as they were walking through, they saw some people in a far corner, and they said, who are those people? And he said, shh, those are the Church of Christ. They believe no one else is here. <laughs> so for all the good I got from my church, I also got a very clear message that there were a lot of people who were not going to be with us in heaven. Even the Baptist. Because they had instrumental music. You understand? And the Episcopalians. Because they had wine in communion. And read from something that wasn't the scripture. Anyone in here, Church of Christ? Come on, confess. Ah, uh, there you go. So you know. This is where I grew up. And as a result... A lot of my underpinning about my faith was actually fear-based, to be afraid of those who were not like me and who I didn't understand. 
And out of fear, of course, we know, comes anger and comes judgment. So even into the midpoint of my life, because I didn't come to this church until after the year 2000 as a student of ministry, I carried the heart of a fundamentalist evangelical, not a Pentecostal, Dwayne, but I wish. We didn't dance in that church either. But I carried that with me, even though my partner, who's here with me, Sue, we had been together 18 years in the closet. So we were really still fundamentalist, evangelical lesbians in the closet. <laughs> All right? But it didn't change anything about what I thought about other people and whether they were included in the house of God. I had to change. This church helped me. This church really helped me. This is the first place I ever worshipped with a person who identified as transgender. This is the first church where I ever sat in a pew next to a person of color. On the Saturday night services, when the services were conducted in Spanish, it was the first time I was ever in a church where the Word of God was spoken in another language. But this church changed me. But I still held on to something that ultimately led to designing the Would Jesus Discriminate campaign and writing the book. Because I actually realized with all that good work, still inside of me was this belief system that said certain people were not okay. I had to have a moment, a Saul moment, on the road to Damascus when God really struck me blind and said, whatever it is you're seeing about all the people you think are so unacceptable, I'm going to make you stop seeing that. I'm going to make you see me in them. That moment came when my brother was diagnosed with AIDS. And we had been isolated from one another our whole lives because, obviously, Abilene, right? Church of Christ, right? AIDS? Mm. It didn't work there. But he called and asked me to bring him home, which I did. I cared for him physically, but I didn't care for him emotionally. I didn't care for him spiritually. Because I was still carrying that message that people who get AIDS, my church said, had bad sex. Right? Of course, all sex was bad. You do realize this. <clears throat> but that was particularly bad sex. And I imposed that belief system that was still in my head on him. And he died, and even his death did not extract that out of my heart. Thank God, God was still walking on that road. He could see, she could see that I was still seeing only one side of the hat. And so my son, who was 13 at the time, who watched how my mother and my father and I treated my brother, decided to kill himself because he was gay. And he thought, well, I can't come out to them. They're not safe. They don't believe I'm going to heaven. My church says I can't go to heaven. 
Now here's the good news. He didn't die. And as we sat at the end of his bed in the hospital, I finally had my moment. And I thought, there is no way that this child to whom I gave birth, that this child is not a child of God. So something I've been taught is wrong. And I have to go ask a question. And thank God, Metropolitan Community Church in Milwaukee <laughs> on a business trip was available for Sue and me to visit and to go through the experience a lot of people do and have someone say to me for the first time in my life in my middle age, God loves every cell of your body. Everything you are. And since then, I have committed as much of my time and energy as I could. We all have our own talents and personalities and gifts. And I came out of corporate America, so I knew how to market. It was something I could do. I've committed that time and energy to figuring out a way to have a conversation, actually mostly with people like I was. Because fundamentalists and evangelicals will not talk to you unless you name the name of Jesus. Do you know this? They will not have a conversation with you. And there are 100 million evangelicals in the United States. And I don't want to just write them off and say we can never talk to them. Because what I know is if we have a conversation and they actually feel the Spirit of God inside of me and I feel the Spirit of God inside of them, then they have an opportunity to shift just like I did. And then they don't have to leave their kids in hospital beds or dead or their brothers uncared for. They can miss that misery because we can help them with their fear. If you decide to do a Would Jesus Discriminate campaign on an ongoing basis in this church, this is the challenge. You must first begin the campaign inside yourself. It is not sufficient to have a billboard or a yard sign or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, although you do look fabulous in them, I've seen you. <laughs> but you must begin with the very difficult task of figuring out who do you not want sitting next to you in the pew? Who would you not invite into this space? Who would you not have to a meal in your home? Now, Sue likes to say Fred Phelps. <laughs> that's because he sends me a lot of ugly email. But that's the test, you see. Could we have him sit next to us? Could he disagree with us violently and speak against us? And in that moment when he says, you are corrupting the Bible, and there's a place for you in hell. And he says to me, a special place, because I mislead large groups of people instead of one at a time. <laughs> when he says that to me, can I say, Fred, I hear you. I was there. But you know what? I discovered the most incredible thing. The Jesus around whom I organize my life doesn't leave anyone 
So I want you to stop 20 seconds now, and I want you to visualize who is it you don't want next to you. You got them there? Hold on to them for a minute. I'm going to tell you something else. The second thing you have to do is you have to consciously and intentionally delabel them and everyone else here. I've used a lot of labels this morning in preaching on purpose. Pentecostal, did you hear me do that? Episcopalian, Baptist, Church Christ. I could have said fat, thin, old, ugly, cool, hip, not. Right? This is what we do in our society. So in order to move to a place where someone can really feel the spirit of you, offering the spirit of God to them, you have to strip off those labels. That's really what God did to Saul on the, on the road to, to Damascus. He knew Saul was so stubborn that as long as his eyes were open, he would not be able to change. So he just shut his eyes. It worked, didn't it? Delabel. The third thing that you have to do if you're going to be successful in a campaign is you have to decide it's not just for us. You're not just talking to Fred Phelps because Fred Phelps doesn't like LGBT people and thinks they're going to hell. May the 18th, a Hasidic Jewish teenager in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, was badly be beaten. It was a religiously motivated hate crime. A Sikh teenager's turban was set on fire at that same school by a classmate, and the school classified it as a prank. Two large swastikas were drawn across the front doors to a synagogue in Madison, Wisconsin, and less than two weeks later, on May the 5th, three more swastikas were drawn, and Die Jew was scrawled across the synagogue's outside door. So the third thing you have to do is decide it's not just about us. I love MCC for its willingness to have done that from its first day. Troy Perry established the first Jewish LGBT synagogue in the country, in West Hollywood. Last week, two weeks ago, MCCLA established the first mosque inside the church in LA for 12 Muslim women who were being abused by members of their community. Now you may say, oh, that's a little radical for me. <laughs> but who else is going to do that? There is a scripture that's on the front of my book. It's from Galatians. And it says, very simply, there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. We are all one in Christ. I put that on the book so every time I had to see it, I would see it. And I would think, who, who am I still leaving out? Finally, if you're going to be successful, you have to claim and realize how marvelous you already are. How strong you already are. All the skills that you already bring to this process of acceptance of people who are different from you. 
I think you're poised at a moment of greatness. You already know everything you need to know. If you can put people in the pew next to you you don't like, take the labels off of them that you've been applying, have people there who are not just like us, you are already ready to take the largest step that God ever took down that road. It is never too late to speak truth to power, and I pray that will happen in this place. Amen. Thank you.